on weeknights from 6 on 2FM and a very good evening one and all you're most welcome to the Thursday edition of Game On this is Damien O'Mara with you until 7 o'clock busy programme uh, to come between now and then shortly we will chat to Bernard Jackman in advance of uh, the game between New Zealand and Uruguay in Leon tonight at the Rugby World Cup the Irish and Scottish teams named today in advance of their big game on Saturday evening we have an Irish soccer squad as well from Stephen Kenny in advance of the games against Greece and Gibraltar notable day today James McLean announcing shortly after 10 o'clock that he was going to retire at the end of the calendar year from international football and then shortly after one o'clock he's not included in the squad for those games but he will be back we're told for the New Zealand game as a big farewell um, more on that to come uh, in a couple of minutes time we'll hear from Stephen Kenny we'll chat to Rebecca Cray as well as we do each Thursday and we'll finish the programme with Shep with our Eye on America loads to get involved in we'd love to hear from you our text number is 51552 or you can tweet the programme at Game on 2 fm <laughs> So it is nice to have your company. Thank you very much for being with us. Hope you can stay with us for the uh, next hour. As mentioned, the Irish and Scottish teams both named today in advance of their big game in Pool B of the Rugby World Cup on Saturday evening live on RTE Radio 1. Uh, Jack Conan in line for his first taste of tournament action. He's recovered from injury. He's been included on the bench. There's two changes to the starting lineup. Dan Sheehan comes in at a hooker. Ian Henderson comes in to the second row. So James Ryan uh, drops to the bench, as does Ronan Kelleher. So plenty to chat about. From a Scotland perspective, bit of a surprise. Uh, Ali Price named at scrum half. Ben White not included at all. George Horn is on the bench. Uh, Jamie Ritchie returns as captain. Price is the only change to the side which started their game against South Africa on the opening weekend of the tournament, which perhaps gives us a little bit of an insight into how Gregor Townsend and his coaching staff perhaps planned in advance for those two games ultimately being the ones that would uh, define their tournament. Let's go to France. Uh, Bernard Jackman is waiting in Leon. Hiya, Bernard. How are you doing, Damien? Good to talk to you. Come here, I'll tell you, we'll get the game tonight out of the way first. Um, New Zealand playing their final game of the pool stages against Uruguay. Um, we look at the form line, Uruguay caused France a little bit of trouble, beaten by 15 points there, beaten Namibia. Like they've, they've really not set the world on fire, beaten by Italy. Should we be expecting New Zealand to kind of continue this sense of playing themselves back into form since the French game and probably putting up a fairly sizable score tonight? Yeah, Uruguay are quite quite sticky. They're they're probably harder to play against than actually doing a lot themselves with, with the ball. And and um, it is going to be interesting if New Zealand can keep that level of sharpness. Obviously, that was so impressive against Italy last week, racking up ninety six points. I I don't think it'll be um, anywhere near as one sided as that. But I still think the All Blacks um, are, are the type of team who can put forty fifty on on a, a, a tier two country um, pretty easily. And uh, I, I suppose from an Irish point of view, it looks like they're going to be our quarterfinal opponent. So we will want to be keeping a, a keen interest in this to actually you know, see how good they are and, and, and try and pick some trends that are going to be relevant hopefully in a week's time. And when we look at it, that 27-13 defeat to France, the opening game of the tournament, um, I don't want to suggest people got carried away with themselves, but there were plenty of people, you know, queuing up to talk about the ongoing demise of New Zealand. It feels a far more formidable challenge of late, despite Ireland's performances, the prospect of playing a team who know what is required to win a World Cup and essentially have it in their DNA to peak for the knockout stages of this tournament. Yeah, look, they've obviously been seeding and, and to be written off um, uh, like they have been uh, will, will, will certainly hurt them. There's still plenty of quality in that team. And also, 
I think they've benefited from um, Scott Barrett and Shannon Frizzell being back. I think they've added to it. They weren't available um, that, that first night in, in the opening game. And uh, there's no shame losing to France, particularly in the opening game with the the, the passion and the, and the support that was behind it. But New Zealand have gone away and um, have perfected, particularly their, their attack is, 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 is very exciting. The question mark is around our front five and, we, you know, they haven't really been testing that yet, and that's the, that's that's where you get tested in in a, in a quarter final, semi final, final. So, um, that's where they struggled against France, and um, you know, I, I don't believe that we know that they've proven that they're strong enough there yet. Okay, uh, let's uh, we'll get stuck into the game between Ireland and Scotland. Mention the teams as named today: the Ireland captain Jonathan Sexton up on media du- media duty, alongside the Irish head coach Andy Farrell. Oh yeah, we we want to win. It's a massive game. It's so important to to us. And certainly, obviously, to them, but to to the travelling fans and the people back home, etc. It's, it's, it's a huge game. We have Ian Henderson in our group. He's good. At, he's good at maths, so we're across everything as far as that's concerned. But the easiest way is to make sure that we uh, we, we uh, perform well and and deserve to to, to win the game outright. We've uh, a thorough plan, which we we always do. We can we go to be able to make sure that we're cohesive and making sure that you know hopefully their attack, which is pretty good. Um, you know, obviously they've got threats all over the field, but they play a, a wide, expansive game, can play through the middle of you, etc. It's, it's making sure that we, we understand what's coming, but at the same time, how can we apply pressure to them? How can, how can we make sure that our defence is attacking, is attacking their attack? And that's been the focus this week. But honestly, we, 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 we talk about it a lot as a group, about taking the people along with us for, for, for this journey. I hope everyone's enjoying it, because we certainly are. It was always going to come down to this game. You know, it was possible that Scotland could be un- beat the unbeaten team and us needing to chase the win. And um, but ultimately, it comes down to a must-win. So yeah, it's exactly where we want to be. Like uh, Faz mentioned already, like we've been lucky enough with injuries to date. So from that regard, you know, we're in a good place. I think with our form, you know, we still feel that there's there's more in us. You know, Prior to the South African game, we look back and and you know, if we were on the other side of the results. You know, we'd be taking huge lessons from it um, in terms of some of the parts of our game didn't click. So uh, we, we still feel that we, we need to improve um, if we want to go further in this competition and that comes down to this weekend. That's Johnny Sexton and Andy Farrell chatting earlier. Bernard, like realistically, people will talk about the depth that's grown in recent years and the importance of involving everybody in the squad or, or certainly having a culture where everyone feels involved. But with what's at stake this weekend if the results go the way they could go it's no surprise to see changes at the bare minimum no absolutely not like this this team um, Farrell has wanted to get that cohesion uh, and that's why he's gone strong Romania, Tonga uh, South Africa and now and now Scotland and it would, that that would be his his, um, his policy all, as long as we're in this World Cup now and I think everyone understands that um, uh, lots he's given a huge amount of people opportunities over the last four years since he's become head coach and you know I don't there's no I suppose bitterness or or backbiting around that people believe this is the best team and players involved in that and, and for example you know James Ryan knows he has a, has a little bit of a knock and Ian Henderson gets his chance having been very good off the bench against against South Africa and um, you know Stuart McCluskey comes onto the bench uh, which will be his first opportunity to play and you know I, I suppose the only thing Johnny mentioned injuries there we are very lucky with injury I just hope 
Robbie Henshaw's injury isn't isn't too serious. Um, but if it is, obviously we're we're, we're well stocked with McCluskey and and Bundy and um, and Gary and Jimmy O'Brien if we need him to play centre and Jack Crowley etc. So that may if it isn't um, a short term injury, it may open up an opportunity to get Keane Healy out there, which I think you know would be a a big boost for us um, uh, going to a, a quarter final if we get there. And obviously Jack Conan is back fit as well, and I think it's the right thing to bring him into the squad um, this game will open up um, Ireland might not be too open early in the game but the game will open up and um, that's a, probably the type of game that he excels in um, he's got great footwork and is, is very comfortable in his wider channels so um, I think it's the right thing to have him back in the squad to, to see what level he's at and, and is he a, a front runner for, for the next game mm-hmm. um, You talked there about the like the culture and giving people an opportunity and, and like I think you and I would have spoken in scenarios like this in advance of the 33 being named and talked about say someone like Keith Earls who on form and with the competition in a squad you'd say he's going to be under pressure to make the 33 then you talk about the individual and what he brings to the environment get some tips from over the line like I'm thinking of somebody like Jimmy O'Brien there's, there's a prospect yeah. now that Jimmy O'Brien will have gone to France and might not see a minute of game time this is where the long work that has gone on over the last four years since the World Cup really comes to bear fruit where people understand the power of the collective and the need to support the collective 100% and even uh, like all those players who maybe you know uh, historically would have a reason to be frustrated um, they see what how far Earl has treated them and their peers in the past so you know he, he probably risked that game in, in Bayonne against Samoa by telling the players the day before that they weren't going but he felt that was the only opportunity he was going to have to say to their face to face and give them time to, to ask for feedback etc whereas Historically, uh, Damien, you know, you found out via well, actually, back in the day, you found out via Airtel and Teletext, but then, then it became, you know, uh, a voice message or a WhatsApp or or a text. So, you know, players appreciate the fact that he has um, consistently treated them um, with utmost respect, whether that's good or bad news. And and I think it's amazing. I think we've got more centurions in our squad than than anyone else. Particularly, I think with Peter Manny getting this hundred cap. Um, and Farrell has managed to keep the Conor Murrays, the Johnny Sexton, the Keith Earls, the Peter Mannies, um, the Keane Healy's uh, fit um, predominantly, um, but also at the, at the highest level of the form and actually improving. I mean, Peter Manny probably is playing the best rugby of his, of his career now. So it's uh, it's been a, a phenomenal, you know, hopefully it's a case study of success, but I think there's so many things that have been done well to try and create that culture that's creating a team who you know are on the verge of of hopefully um becoming the winning most team consecutive which matches um, over the coming weeks ever in tier one history but not to be a dissenting voice but to, to put forward the other um side of it if we are to win a world cup if we are to go to the semi-finals or the finals of a world cup you know, we are going to resort on largely the same group of players going to the pool week in, week out. And is that something that we need to be concerned about? Or do we just need to say, you know, they're, they're tried and tested, they're used to this week in, week out, they've been planning for this for whatever length of time. And um, I don't want to say trust the process, but perhaps trust the people who know these players best. I, I, look, I think the way the way the fixtures unfolded for us 
we actually could do that. Um, so, for example, Scotland played South Africa the first game and then they had a bye week, uh, whereas we had our three games, our bye week. So the players going into Scotland this weekend effectively have had that break. So uh, that allows us not have to, to chop and change like other teams have done. Um, so I don't see any problem with that. I mean, we're also a Northern Hemisphere-based team, so these players are coming off the back of a, of a pre-season. They haven't had a long season uh, in their legs in their mind so you know if we were to win a World Cup some of our frontliners would only have played probably nine games this year mm. you know so that's there's no issue with it but I think the key was that, that we had our first three games and then we had our our down week and that has allowed Farrell play it the way he's, he's decided to play When you look at the balance of the 223s how much of a challenge do you expect from Scotland this weekend? <sighs> Look at their their dangerous team. Uh, Andy spoke about it. Their attack. I would have their attack up there with New Zealand number one, us number two, and um, Scotland number three. Now, and people think, oh, that's madness because France are are a very good side. They're a phenomenal side, and, and they may may win it, but their attack actually isn't anywhere near as fluid. It's a lot of moments of brilliance from individual players, whereas Scotland have a clear way of playing, and it can cause teams trouble. And and we, we do talk about them, their ability to get into wide channels a lot because that's where, you know, Darcy Graham is, that's where Duan van der Merve is. But they can, as Farrell says, take you up the middle through Tupelotu and through Hugh Jones. And it is a threat. But Ireland's defence against South Africa was probably the best defensive performance we've, I would say, nearly ever had. And I think when we look back, it, it was incredible. And um, it, it'll have to be as good but different. I mean, uh, with South Africa you know what's coming and you have to front up. Whereas Scotland, in fairness to them, they make you make more decisions um, in defence. And it's going to be fascinating to see how Simon Easterby has set his defence up because um, if we can starve them of momentum, if we can frustrate them in the outside channels and a breakdown like we did against South Africa, I think they will they will panic because don't forget, they don't winning isn't good enough for them. They have to win and beat us by more than seven so um, that's a horrible place to be when just winning isn't enough and I think if we can show that defensive solidity um, it, it, it could be very easy for them to to panic and, and, and try and make big plays when when it's not on and, and we can capitalise on that You expect Ireland to win then? Yeah I think I can't see if we if we show up and bring our best game I, I think we win uh, Before I let you go I want to talk about um, Peter O'Mahony wins his 100 cap for Ireland this weekend um, a fantastic servant I think one of those people if you were in the trenches you'd want to turn around and see Peter O'Mahony beside you rather than on the opposing uh, side of things uh, earlier this week over the course of the week two men who know him very very well Paul O'Connell uh, who's now Ireland's forwards coach and the Munster scrum half Conor Murray um, spoke in advance of the squad being named about the impact of Omani. Listen, it's brilliant. I mean, I suppose I've known him since he was 18, since he came into the academy and he always was, uh, he was always a, a leader, you know, he always wanted to, I suppose, figure things out and then once he figured them out, he was able to speak well and, and lead well and, and I suppose set a bit of a, set an example and, uh, uh, you know, I think he, He's had a great last few years in his career, I think, in terms of, um, I think he's he's fit. Uh, I think he understands the game more than ever and that allows him to to play really well and, and, and be aligned with what the coaches want and what's what's best for, for the team that he plays in. 
Um, you know, he communicates really well with the group. He sets a lovely tone. Uh, you know, we've guys that communicate in different ways and speak in different ways. He has a certain way of, of setting the tone. Um, uh, you know, there's never any BS about it, but it, it's always straight and to the point. And from that point of view, he's been great for us. So, you know, he had a, a period there a while back where he, he was on the bench and he was excellent on the bench for us as well. You know, he, he, he prepared the starting group really well. He prepared the subs really well you know, despite being a starter for so long and uh, I think that period was good for him and since he's gotten back into the team uh, he, he hasn't let go um, so, you know, I'm, I'm delighted uh, I suppose as a monster man I'm delighted to see him getting a, a hundred caps if he, if he can get there at the weekend so, uh, brilliant achievement and, and, and it's full credit to him all going well. Uh, I've been around with Pete since um, I think Munster under 16. Also, I've known Pete for a very long time, and I suppose we've shared, you know, the, the club journey and the international journey pretty much side by side, and, and you know we've a lot of the same experiences. So, yeah, it'll be you know I'm grateful that I got to get to that milestone, and it's it's a it's a huge day for himself and, and his family and, and everyone that's worked with him the whole way up. So, um, you know, hopefully it it all goes to plan and. Yeah, Pete gets to that milestone because it's a, it's, a, it's a very special club. That's Conor Murray who will win cap 111 this weekend if he plays. Um, but Bernard, just a word on O'Mahony and, and like Paul O'Connell has summed it up brilliantly there. A guy who there were loads of people kind of justifiably starting to write his rugby obituaries a couple of years ago and he is so crucial and so important to this Irish squad and I think if you if you were to talk about players who have a bit of the dog in them if you open it in the dictionary his face would look back out at you. It's just what every team needs. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, and also obviously it's a special day for him and his family on on Saturday, make this hundred cap. But I also was so happy to see him win win a silverware with Munster, you know, um, and that was a that was a great, um, I suppose, kickstart into what's what could be a, a phenomenal phenomenal year for him. And uh, he has evolved his game. I mean, I, like I, I agree with Paul when I used to watch him, it was all heart, it was all great, it was all you know the tr- traditional Munster attitude of forward play and, and in your face and probably if you remember under Rob Penny you know when they were trying to play that wide wide game he, he, he was kind of lost a little bit but um, and then when we saw Jack Conan uh, Caelan Doris and, jo- and Josh van der Fleer um, start for Ireland you know it looked like he was t- his time was out and was he going to be someone who would even hold his place on the bench because He's not your typical impact player, but his game has has evolved. And Paul said he understands the game better now than ever, and that's that's evident. And uh, he's now a, he's still a key man for Ireland on and off the field. So uh, yeah, and, and that's what I, I said at the start. I think Farrell has has managed those veterans and, and those legends of Irish rugby really well. And um, we need him. You know, we, we need the, the Peter Mannies, the Connor Connor Murrays, and Keith Earls, etc. And uh, and thankfully they're they're still there for us. Just to, to finish, um, obviously next weekend the tournament takes a completely different turn. And you know, I, I think every weekend from here on in is going to get more and more compelling. How has it struck you? You've been over and back a couple of times. How has it struck you as a tournament experience? Because you know, the first weekend exploded into life. Second weekend was a little bit tepid. Third weekend, you know, like it's, I don't know if the scheduling has fully maximised the enthralling nature of what the World Cup could have been up to now. No, look, at uh, in France, it's, it's it's landed well. There's there's certainly, you know, lots of noise and frustrations with some of the, the one-sided fixtures. But I think there's nearly been enough. There's nearly been one game a weekend that's, 
uh, being of interest and obviously a team like Portugal has has shown the way forward um, so I, I think in general it's been a decent group stage like we've always had the problem with rugby is this is this isn't new you know Italy back in the day shipped massive losses to uh, to New Zealand Japan used to be way more uncompetitive etc so we have seen some improvement in some countries unfortunately others are, are still lagging behind but um, like this weekend the the Scotland Ireland game. That's the that's the game. The Argentina Japan game is is going to be fascinating to see who qualifies. But then after that, it's it's all roads lead to, to Paris, and and um, I, I think we're going to have some cracking rugby over the next three or four weeks. Go well tonight. Thanks very much for being with us, Bernard. Thank you, Bernard Jackman, with Bye-bye. us. Uh, coverage of the game between New Zealand and Uruguay on RT2 Television later on this evening. Much more to come in the program. We're going to chat uh, all things American sport with Shep at the end of the program. Rebecca Cray will be with us shortly, and we will be reflecting on the career internationally of one James McLean. Game on football. And you're very welcome back to the program. Uh, action ongoing in the Europa League. West Ham. Uh, this is approaching halftime. One 0 up away to Freiburg West Ham can set a record tonight alongside David Moyes if they win no sorry if they avoid defeat tonight they're 17 games unbeaten in European competition which would eclipse Don Reavy's team Leeds team of the 60s and Bill Nicholson's Spurs team of the 70s now if you're of a certain vintage and you've got an older person in your life probably fairly older you ask them how good the Leeds team of the 60s and the Spurs team of the 70s were and it'll contextualise for you just how big an achievement that is um, for West Ham. So West Ham 1-0 up, uh, 41 minutes played in that game away to Freiburg. Uh, not going overly well for Brighton as they continue their European odyssey. They're 2-0 down uh, at the same point in their game away to Marseille. Uh, no... Evan Ferguson in the starting lineup. He's on the bench uh, for Brighton. Roberto De Serbi, a great man to make multiple substitutions at halftime. So perhaps Evan Ferguson, who was included in the Ireland squad today, will get an opportunity to uh, do his thing in the second half. So the Ireland squad named, uh, as mentioned, in advance of the games against Greece and Gibraltar. Um, we'll go through it in a couple of minutes' time, but a slightly odd one insofar as uh, James McLean, in a press release issued by the FAI, confirmed shortly after 10 o'clock this morning that he was going to retire from international football at the end of the calendar year and then the squad comes out and he's not included in it but he will feature against uh, New Zealand all going well in that final international of the calendar year and get an opportunity to bid farewell to an Aviva crowd who have enjoyed him over the years Infield to Wes Hulham, all alone, screaming for his McLean on the far side. McLean's got a chance, he's inside the, the penalty area. McLean with a jump and scores! Breakout play from the Republic of Ireland after 47 minutes. And McLean scored two goals against Moldova, and he's got his third in the last two. McLean with the goal for the Republic of Ireland. It's Australia, Republic of Ireland won. Close down by Jeff Hendrick, just uh, epitomising the Irish work ethic, and he's managed to keep the ball in play. Delivers the cross, Arthur allows it to run. McLean is there. James McLean rockets the ball into the net, and Ireland make the breakthrough in Cardiff. It's that man again, James McLean. 
magnificent walk by Hendrik down the right hand side put Ashley Williams under pressure won the ball off him got down to the corner flag looked like it might run over the sideline whipped it across the box Arthur was coming in he stepped the row stepped over Adrian Neil McLean was coming in behind him what a finish what a finish by James McLean buried over his right foot low into the net past Hennessy from a good bit out James McLean gets his fourth goal of this qualifying campaign. It could be a big, big goal for Ireland. Representing Ireland, you know, we've just been able to do that uh, once is pretty special. You know, that's never had the fact how proud I am to be Irish. Uh, they've given the opportunity to step on a football pitch and be able to affect games and represent the country. You know, I would say that's always going to be probably the, the proudest part of it all. Time you get to play the undertones is a good opportunity. Um, Liam Scales, Mikey Johnson from Celtic included in that squad today. A um, couple of notable absentees. Keevan Kelleher, Liverpool goalkeeper, misses out. He's got 12 stitches apparently in his knee. We'll hear from Stephen Kenny on him uh, in just a moment. So uh, Max O'Leary comes into the squad. Uh, no Jeff Hendrick. John Egan's out injured, as is Callum O'Dowda. Um, but as mentioned, McLean announces his retirement this morning. The squad is named at lunchtime. He's not in it. Stephen Kenny's been explaining why. Yeah, James was, was obviously named in the provisional squad and, you know, regular contact with James. I think, uh, obviously, Liam Scales is actually in, in very good form at Celtic playing in the Champions League and he's played, played a lot on the left side as well. And also, Ryan Manning um, has had some good form for Southampton recently. So, James, uh, James has a great career. You know, he's had terrific career and he's still you know there's no, it's not it's not it's not beyond the possibility I'll be calling the weekend after his injury and, and ask him to come back in and, and play and that's, that's that is the reality sometimes when you name squads and uh, so he's had a you know he's had a terrific career James I think you know young, young Irish players can learn a lot from how he approached his career, Ireland was always at the forefront of his thoughts. It was always, it was always the pinnacle for him, and uh, it was always the, you know, the most important thing to play for his country. And you always, you have to respect that. I think, from my point of view, as a, as a manager, obviously, I managed him as a teenager, gave him his debut, and then sold him to Sunderland. But <laughs> people change in that period. He changed, obviously, he, he's a different personality then when I, when I, when I managed the Irish team. If if there's any grey areas about who might play in the, in the team sometimes and decisions are not made and depending on who's available and he's so forceful in his training performances sometimes he gets himself in the team by just his sheer uh, intensity in his training in the sessions and he you know it's hard to ignore him then when when someone trains like that in the games he puts it to the forefront of his mind and that's. That's what he's done. That's Stephen Kenny chatting about uh, James McLean earlier. Rebecca Cray uh, is with us. Hi, Rebecca. How are you, Damien? Not too bad. Thanks for being with us. Good to talk to you as always. Um, Listen, we're we're talking about a guy who such a brilliant career for, you know, has made so much of the talent that he had at his disposal. And it's kind of going to be a shame to see him because in a way he's almost been the kind of passionate heart and soul of Irish squads since he burst onto the scene 11 years ago. Yeah, look, I, I think James is the definition of, you know, giving his heart to Ireland. You know, he, he kind of epitomises that that proud-to-be-Irish tag. And, 
you know, obviously the politics outside of football that he's had to go through across England and, and things like that. He, he's always stayed true to himself and his beliefs, you know, um, on the pitch. You know, Stephen Kenny said there he's he's one that just his work rate and his intensity is something that is admirable, you know, for anybody, not just the, the younger generation, but he really, really, you know, gave everything and, you know, his determination on the pitch every time he got a, a chance to come on and, and do something. You know, sometimes he may not have been amazing. Other times he was he was fantastic, but he's, he's definitely, you know, a, a player that we can say was mm. extremely proud to be Irish and gave everything for it. But when we think about incidents in Irish football over the years and listen the Roy Keane's tackle on Mark Overmars in that game in 2001 when they beat them like I, I'm surprised there's not a statue of that somewhere because people go on about it so much but James McLean was that type of a player that you know I remember we do matches on the radio and you joke that he'd been brought off the bench and sure he'd be booked within five minutes with the first tackle yeah. but you do need that in a squad most definitely. Look, you, you need that little bit of bite and a little bit of grit, you know, within a, a side. Um, someone to come on and just ruffle feathers if, if that's what it takes. And he, he was the definition or is the definition, obviously, still of that. In saying that, look, he's, he's 102 caps, you know, he's 11 goals over over the 11 years. has appeared at two European championships. So, look, it's not something that can be, you know, can be um, shied away from. It's, mm. He's had a, a fantastic and, and, you know, wonderfully decorated career, obviously at domestic level then as well, you know, in, in terms of his clubs and playing across Wigan, West Brom, Stoke, um, you know, where he probably had his more successful times and appearances. But, um, yeah, look, I'm sure he's, he's a little bit disheartened that he's not in these upcoming squads, but look, hopefully he gets a, a great send-off now come November. In, in footballing terms, you know, the move to Wrexham, you can understand that it's probably lucrative in terms of what options he had at this point in his yeah. career but it is very difficult to say to a guy you're playing at that level I'm going to have you in around the squad and I, I get a sense he's probably the type of guy who wouldn't want a prolonged period in Irish camp knowing he wasn't going to feature Exactly like you know as, as Kenny as Ken, Stephen Kenny said you know you have the likes of Liam Scales and obviously Mikey Johnson and stuff at, at Celtic playing in Champions League's at the minute, you know, Evan Ferguson, that Brighton there is 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 riding high, and obviously, you know, playing at Wrexham, which is obviously a lower standard, a lower league. There's no kind of comparison, really. Um, you know, obviously, it is a case he's, he's probably thinking more so now after football, um, in terms of what what his options are at the likes of Wrexham. But um, yeah, no, look, there's, there's no denying that I think. It, it was uh, it was maybe the, the right decision at this moment in time to make. And when we listen to that clip and you hear like someone like, you know, when you've got someone like Liam Scales playing in the Champions League and to be fair, I've, I've only fleetingly seen Celtic over the course of the season, but any time I've seen them, they've looked pretty impressive. And Ryan Manning, who there was a clamour to have him in squads for so long, you know, it's explained very well when guys are playing at that level and are doing well at that level. There's times when you just have to look and ha- give youth its opportunity and see the baton passed on. Exactly, like there's no denying, you know, when you're playing at these higher levels and, and playing frequently, um, you know, that kind of comes into play when you're you're playing at, at international level. You know, the likes of sentiment kind of goes out the window slightly when you've got games to 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 get results from, um, you know, and obviously the the lads have been playing and and obviously with Celtic, you know, they have been doing really well. Obviously, unfortunately, didn't win last night, but um, I think it's a case of looking to the future now and and just giving giving James a send off in November. So just bear with me for one second because I want to play a clip of Stephen Kenny chatting about the goalkeeper situation. So uh, no Keevin Kelleher, which raised a couple of eyebrows initially when the squad came out. Gavin Bazuna was in there along with Max O'Leary and Mark Travers. And here's Stephen Kenny explaining the decision process earlier. Keevin, obviously we got the call. He got twelve stitches in his 
in a, in a, in a, in a joint, in a leg joint, in a knee joint. So sometimes with stitches, if it's a calf or a toy or a facial injury, you know you can you can get on with it, but you can't if it's on the joint. It just reopens all the time, and um, it's just unfortunate for Quivine really uh, because he's played like obviously in, in the Europa League, and then he, he was going to play three weeks in a row, going to play tonight, and uh, it's just just unfortunate for him. Obviously, I was a fan a few Southampton games, and. Um, they conceded some goals. Um, like even though they were conceding a high number of goals early on, you'd be you'd be struggling to look at goal and say that was his, that goal was his fault. You know, it, it, sometimes that it can happen, and you know you don't want it to happen. Yeah, you don't want your goalkeeper conceding a number of, high number of goals, um, certainly. But uh, I'm sure. They've had two good wins at Hampton and um, conceded one last week on the clean sheet the other night, so they'll take confidence from that. Rebecca, timing is everything in these situations and you look at it, there would have been a very justifiable case to be made for Kevin Kelleher to maybe dislodge Gavin Bazunu as number one in recent weeks. So you'd wonder, it's, it's such a blow for Kelleher, but you'd wonder at the back of it all, I know these guys are all supremely confident, but is there a little sigh of relief from uh, Gavin Bazunu today? I'd imagine so yeah most definitely look obviously Kelleher he, he might not get as, as much game time as the likes of, of Gavin but um, you know when you're you're, I suppose training day in and day out with the likes of Alison Becker um, there's a lot to be said for that so I'd say he's he's probably you know obviously you don't want anyone to get injured or to, to hurt themselves in any way shape or form obviously especially a teammate um, but I'm sure he's he's relieved to say the least that he'll he'll have, hold that number one position. Mm. Um, a couple of things on field matters to chat to you about. Um, we'll talk about the women's national league in a minute, but the the super league getting underway um, last weekend and like you look maybe to draw the parallel with the the rugby squad that will go back to the URC. Like the players who've been involved in pre season have waited so long because of the tournament during the summer in order for um, it to get underway. Like the the result of the weekend, like it's it's great for the league probably that you had a shock like Liverpool going to Arsenal and getting a result because I, I don't know that there were overly amount of people ex- like predicting that in advance mm. yeah look it's it's one of them I think you know that it was a case that I don't know if you know Arsenal maybe were thinking that they were probably going to, going to go in and, and win the game so I don't know if a slight slight bit of a complacency maybe creeped in and in that sense um, they just didn't seem to you know in the final tour come off the uh, come out of the, the certain blocks at all you know they, they played some nice football at times just that final tour let them down and and look liverpool um you know capitalized on the chance that they got um they they, they look like they they wanted it a little bit more maybe um and look unfortunately obviously arsenal they can get the win um and and you know obviously record crowds as well though mm. in, in saying that on the other side with, with 50, over 54,000 in the emirates but um yeah, not, not not a good start to the to the league uh, campaign for Arsenal, but look, I'm sure they'll be hoping to to pick up again tomorrow against United. You'd wonder like how much there, there's like how, well, sorry, I won't wonder. I'll ask you um, the the level of potential for the women's Super League this year when you consider coming off England and the Euros they had and coming around off the back of the amount of coverage that the Women's World Cup had you would think that this year more than any other year when you look at the crowds on the opening weekend is the weekend for this not even to be like a springboard into what the league can be but to be like like a catapult or a rocket launcher in terms of the potential for the Women's Super League in England. Yeah, it's massive. Like it's you know, going off this this year 
you know, um, or this summer alone, that the numbers that had turned up to the Women's World Cup, obviously then the ourselves, even the Irish team, having over 35,000 in, in the Aviva then, you know, two weeks ago. And obviously then with those record crowds there last week, you know, there's major, major potential for, for women's football in, in Europe and the world um, to, to go really, really far. And, you know, I think it's going to keep growing. Obviously, the, the level and the standards within the, the WSL over in England now at the minute is is really, really high. Um, and the majority of the players that would have been playing at World Cups are, are playing there now. You know, we've a few dotted around the world and in the States and across Europe and Germany, France, um, all these places. Um, but look, it's, it's massive and... You know, it's the case that, look, I know in our leagues here, you probably have a lot of girls that are, are eyeing it up to, to still get across there. Obviously, mm. we'd love to, to kind of keep our, our league, you know, growing in this sense and, and keep players here and have that option. But um, it's definitely, definitely grown. And the WSL, you know, the likes of the deals are getting across with Sky and, um, you know, so many more games are being shown and, and the girls themselves are, are so, you know, marketable. Um, yeah. They're, they're so accessible compared to men's football, you know, as well. And I think that's probably what, what it attracts a, a lot of people to it and, and keeps them with it. But even, do you know, do you know a thing that, um, I, listen, we all go by our experiences in our own life. I, I've seen it like last year with the women's teams being included even on FIFA, the computer game. And I know it's been rebranded yeah. as FC24 this year. Like I saw it firsthand at the Aviva where, like obviously the, the Ireland Northern Ireland game and the people that are there know the Irish players and have followed the Irish players but like when yeah. you're hearing people having conversations about Rachel Furness playing for Northern Ireland and oh yeah she scores loads of goals for me for Liverpool in the computer yeah. game like it's like th- th- that rising tide lifts all boats but it's just about the general profile where you know and you do seem to have that like you've touched upon it that the biggest names in the sport are far more open far more accessible you know you can get interviews with the big players they're happy to do it they're happy to promote the game that you know there is so much potential there to harness completely yeah like at times listen it can can be detrimental as well you know people think that they're they're so accessible that they're nearly you know too accessible people can can intrude sometimes but then you know there's the plus sides there is that connection that they have with the fans and you know when you have people speaking of of girls names you know as household names to them who are you know at the top level in in, in football in the world it's it's something that is is quite remarkable and you know and we've only looking then obviously going back to the, the 54,000 in the Emirates last week I think back in 2013 I seen a picture shared when it was kind of the Emma Bourne era and you know the Kira Grants at Arsenal I think two or three hundred were, were at yeah. the Emirates um, for a game there at that time, you know, and that's only what ten years ago. So it's it's really shown in numbers how how much the game has grown, and you know that accessibility obviously has helped. Um, you know, the, as you said, like the girls are, are more than happy to do it, but they have got such a, a level of professionalism still about them. Um, and, and look, all they want to do is obviously get what what women's football in in the world deserves, and and you know keep getting those numbers in, keep people on board, keep the bums on seats, and you know obviously with the women's Irish game, you know coming up, I would have loved to see that going going again in, in the Aviva, and um, you know obviously to capitalise on the previous. Um, look, could be a, it could be a story for another day or a chat yeah. for another day, Damien. Yeah, um, listen, just in, in terms of, um, I, I'm thinking of the, the Merseyside rivalry and uh, like Steve McMahon, Kevin Sheedy, Nick Barnby, all of those players who crossed the Merseyside divide. Uh, Meg, Megan Campbell obviously joining it and a big move for her to obviously haven't been out of contract with Liverpool after the summer. Like Everton, a great club to, to get back to, yeah. a great platform for her to get back into the game and get back to full fitness. 
that's it. Look, I'm, I'm delighted for Megan, you know, chatting to her there throughout the summer and she's doing some coverage back here for the World Cup and all she wants to do is get back on the pitch. You know, she's been super unlucky over the years. You know, I think even playing with her back at Rahini, she was swamped with injuries at that time and, and it's just chased her all the, you know, down through the years at City and obviously then at Liverpool and just been so, so hard done by. But look, I'm delighted for her to get involved there with Everton. They seem to be a great club, you know, there seems to be a great kind of buzz around them and and they're well looked after. So, look, I think she'd be chomping at the bit now just to, to get going again and, and get herself back into the Irish squad as well as what I know a lot of us are, are still wanting to see. You know, she's still quite young, still has a lot to give. So, look, hopefully she, she stays fit and, and uh, it does well this season. Um, to finish, um, you how much, obviously people will know you're on the, the coaching staff at, at Shelburne. How much of your, um, is every waking moment at this stage revolving around two massive matches against Shamrock Rovers <laughs> this weekend and the weekend after? The league, sorry, to put it into context for people, uh, Shell second in the league, six points behind P-Mount, uh, Rovers um, three points behind you. So you play in the league at Tolka this weekend and then the cup semi-final in Tala the weekend after. So two games that will go a long way towards potentially defining both club seasons. Most definitely. Look, these are, are you know, obviously games that we're, we're looking forward to playing, you know. Um, obviously, we had the first game of the season against them and I think that was just one for the headlines. People were, you know, looking to... To uh to come out and watch and, and see what the hype was all about. Sorry, I think it was the second game, but um yeah, look, it's just game by game now, and in their minds, you know, it's it's a case of just winning every game we possibly can, and, and look, see what, how the, the results around us go. Um, and that'd be the same, you know, for this week. It won't be a case of thinking of of the semi final the following. It's just trying to get those three points out in talent now for for shells. Um, and, and look, the the girls are all raring to go. You know, as you can imagine. Rovers have, have been depleted slum, somewhat in, in losing Abby Larkin across to Glasgow. So it'll be interesting to see how, how the two teams come up against each other, yeah? Yeah, as a Bowes fan, it's hard for me to say good luck to either side. So may the best, may the most, may the most deserve. <laughs> you say good luck to me. Well, Damon. I can to you. Well, no, that's fair enough. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with the, the, the cop out always when you're interviewing people is may you get the result you deserve. Exactly. Is that all right? Exactly. That's it. And we that's won't. how it will play out. And obviously your bows are playing playing against Wexford with P Mount against Street and obviously Sligo and Cork as well. Yeah. So some great games across the weekend. I have I, I have the nails gone off both hands looking like uh, the, the cup the cup semi final against Galway now is going to be the death of me at the weekend. Yeah. So uh, but anyway, listen. Yeah. There's actually sorry, here's one for you. Um and this is getting very parochial. Um I think like people are going on about like Bose fans cannot get tickets for Terryland Park on Saturday, so they're showing the men's cup semi final on a big screen, and the women's WNL game has been delayed to allow it to then take place after it. So, well, what an afternoon if you're on the north side of Dublin with little to do than to go watch the cup men's cup semi final on the big screen and then stay to watch the women's <laughs> national league. I'll be staying outside, so. Ah, no, always the bitter word. Rebecca, good to talk to you as always. Look after yourself and we'll chat soon. Take it handy, Rebecca Cray uh, with us there. Listen, it's all, we're all just trying to sell domestic football, just some of us wear different colours in order to do it. Um, We have a break to take and we will be back chatting with Shep in two and a half minutes. On 2FM. And you're very welcome back to the programme. Uh, second half's just getting underway in those uh, Europa League games. Uh, West Ham 1-0 up away to Freiburg. Brighton 2-0 down uh, away to Marseille. Liverpool of Belgian opposition coming to uh, Anfield tonight. An awful lot made out in advance about the fact that Alexis McAllister and his brother were going to be on opposing sides. Well, they're not, because Alexis has been left on the bench by uh, Jurgen Klopp. Liverpool, um, the Europa League final takes place in the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. 
uh, if you didn't know where the Aviva Stadium is, uh, next year. And imagine what it would be like if Liverpool made the Europa League final in Dublin. So uh, Jurgen Klopp, he's gone strong tonight. Alisson in goal, obviously. Uh, no Kevin Kelleher. Alexander-Arnold, Kanate, Kwanzaa, Simikas, Endo, Gravenberch, Elliot, Jota, Salah and Nunez. So if you have uh, gone to Anfield to enjoy a bit of European football tonight, you're certainly getting the opportunity to see uh, their team up strong, close and in person. Game on. Eye on America. Shep, how the devil are you? I'm doing great, Damien. Good to hear your voice, buddy. And you, long time no speak. Listen, come here. Um, we're come off the back of the only weekend every couple of years where we all feel very European over here when the Ryder Cup gets underway. Um, I, I've all, I, 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 like, I've always been a little bit intrigued about this concept of America, where nationalism and identity and dedication to the country is so important to so many people how do we have a situation where the European team always seem to blend so much has has America's defeat to Europe like how significant is it in the sporting narrative in the US this week well I mean look it was you know obviously a big story all last week um unfortunately <laughs> it's it's like when 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 the Europeans jumped out to just such a big lead right off the bat, I know for me, I was just kind of like, oh, that sucks. Mm. You know, like, I mean, well, I don't, I mean, because I have to wake up, you know, to watch it. If I wanted to watch it in real time, you know, I needed to wake up at like three in the morning and I just wasn't going to do that. You know, I mean, when it's, when it was just such a, you know, such a blowout to kind of start things off. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of folks were very disappointed in the performance. And I mean, look, credit the European team and the captains for, you know, this is as much, Damien, as you know, it's a much about the actual play on the course, but it's also just the feel that you have with your pairings. And it just kind of felt like, at least in the morning sessions, you know, everything that, that Luke Donald did just worked perfectly. Mm. Nothing Zach Johnson did went to, you know, was was a good decision. So Yeah, but the, the, other, the other thing that um, has struck me about it since is the extent to which the European players buy into it and the number of them who like towards the latter stages were playing events to chase a place in the team but still went to Wentworth and still played that week in advance then went to Rome to do the recce whereas the US guys was there maybe a sense retrospectively of ah listen we've got the quality we've got we can just turn up here and everything will be fine and then a little bit of rustiness and you're effectively beaten before you've settled into it at all yeah, so most of the American team was off, and they chose to be off uh, in the month before the tournament or the five weeks before the tournament. Just a couple of them had played. To your point, you know, um, I mean, the team was kind of you know already set. Um, and in the European team, you know, it feels like after the Tour Championship, you know, a bunch of them went back onto the continent and started and played somewhere, you know, played competitive golf somewhere. And, and, and look, Zach Johnson made the argument, you know, well, you could also say it's, it's good to get rested after a long grueling season. And I think, you know what, I mean, maybe there is some merit to that, but it it certainly didn't play itself out this past. I, I think just from just an overall perspective, it seemed like the buy in at least from this particular European team seemed to be a lot stronger. Um, you know, they, they kind of did, I don't know, a walkthrough or just like kind of a, a weekend getaway at the course, you know, a month or so before the, the Ryder Cup tournament was held. And, and Luke Donald said they, they didn't really, they didn't really play much golf. It was just more of kind of, you know, the kind of the bonding situation. Mm. And they sat around a campfire and told stories about their life and, you know, learned more about, 
just the golfer. It was more about who is this person. And they showed and recorded videos from the, the players, loved ones and showed that to everyone. And so it just, it seemed to me like it was more than just this golf tournament. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know what, what the, your, the, the American captains need to figure out. Cause this isn't all just on Zach Johnson. I mean, we, are, the American team has not won in Europe in 30 years. So this isn't like something that he just lost all of a sudden. Mm. I mean, there's something about flying over there and something happens with the intimidation or, or something that just goes bye-bye when it comes to America playing in this tournament for three decades. I mean, that's kind of unbelievable. So life will go on and it'll all be forgotten about very, very quickly. Um, listen, NFL up and running. Um, I'm looking at it like there's panic in New York because the teams haven't started well. The Chicago yeah. Bears might as well just stop now because it's a disaster already. What else right, is jumping yeah. out in terms of the early weeks of the NFL season? Yeah, I mean, you're right on, spot on with those first two analysis. You know, the kind of the two, two or three of the biggest cities in, in the states. I mean, the, obviously the Jets with the, the Aaron Rodgers injury on the fourth play of the season just throws a monkey wrench into everything. But Zach Wilson has really not been very good. He was he was okay last week, but but still made some costly mistakes. Um, you know, the, the the Bears could potentially just be an all timer. Just a, a, an all-time bad team. I think the Buffalo Bills. You know, they caught a lot of heat for losing that opening round game, that opening night game against the Jets, but they have recovered and have really dominated. Look, you know, the Dolphins scored seventy points two weeks ago and then turn around, and you know they go to Buffalo last weekend and really kind of never got on track. And I think Buffalo kind of reasserted themselves as you know the maybe the best team in the AFC, um, and then you have you know them and the, maybe the Chiefs and the Eagles as kind of the three best teams overall. But I wouldn't sleep on San Francisco. Yeah. They are phenomenal. You know, their defense is great. And I think, you know, da- you know, Damien, I know you pay attention to this stuff. Rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud at Houston is maybe one of the better rookie quarterbacks we've seen in quite some time. They are playing really good football, and they drafted him second, and then they traded up to draft a defensive player third. And they look like real big winners early on from this past draft season. Yeah, and listen, it comes back to that old adage, if you're good enough, you're old enough, irrespective of what age you are. Um, listen, we, we won't get into it because I know you talked a lot about Taylor Swift last week, but any opportunity to mention her because I look cool with the kids. Uh, I see the yeah, NFL. Yeah. I, I was intrigued yesterday that the NFL getting grief for focusing too much on her new fledgling relationship. But you'd have to imagine she is bringing an audience of people who never watched the NFL to the NFL she's putting eyeballs on televisions there you or have iPads it. or streaming services and as you know that is what it's all about that's what it's all about it's all about the numbers Shep good to talk to you stay safe and we'll chat again soon uh, we're over on time as is always the case Betta's on the way Laurie Davies our broadcast coordinator Ronan Lawler produced from Damien O'Mara we chat again Good night.